Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. In this podcast, we are focusing again on the provider space. Our guest today is a leader of one of the most prestigious GI practices in the country, Minji Digestive Care, previously known as Minnesota Gastroenterology. We're bringing them on today in conjunction with the implementation of a value-based agreement between SonarMD, Minji, and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota which will allow Sonar to deploy its platform into what we feel will be an ideal and unique environment for value-based care. Our representative from Minji today is Dr. Scott Ketover. Scott is a longtime friend of mine and is the president of Minji. Unlike most practices, Minji has created an expert IBD team, which brings the same level of expertise to a private practice setting as you would find in an academic medical center. It's also perfect for value-based care. Welcome to the show, Scott. Well, thank you, Larry. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're honored to have you. This should be an interesting uh, podcast. Give us a short history of Minji. How did you get to what you are today? Sure. Um, when I joined the practice in 1994, uh, the precursor to Minji was a group of, in Minneapolis, and I was the 16th uh, gastroenterologist to join. Um, within three years, that group that I joined merged with two groups in St. Paul. Um, and that came about because one of the hospitals in St. Paul wanted to employ five gastroenterologists. And they approached both of those separate groups in St. Paul and said, we like all you guys, but we'll take the first five that want to sign a contract. <laughs> and so in response to that, the two St. Paul groups said, we don't want to be employed and let's get together with the Minneapolis group and see if we can do something to grow ourselves rather than grow the hospital. And so in uh, 96, 97, Minji was formed. Um, at that time, we called ourselves Minnesota Gastro or MNGI. And over time, our, our name and logo has evolved and we're Minji Digestive Health. We've grown from that group of approximately 30 physicians back in the late 90s now to uh, over 90 gastroenterologists and 30 some odd uh, APPs, as well as uh, multiple anesthesiologists and CRNAs. We have um, eight clinical sites, uh, currently have seven um, ASCs, uh, and we are geographically spread around the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. That's, that's an impressive uh, footprint you have. Um, so where's Minji going? We hear, we hear about all the other practices around the country, uh, some of them are selling to private equity groups, and um, some of them are getting purchased by hospitals. What do you see that? What do you see as the future vision of where Minji is going? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit more background before I answer your question. In that, um, it turns out that the Twin Cities is sort of the home of large, independent, subspecialty groups, uh, and this may have grown out of the. Um, HMO movement in the uh, late 80s and the development of HMOs. But, you know, there's a lot of large subspecialty groups here, uh, pulmonary medicine, cardiology, nephrology, uh, neurology, 
Um, subspecialty surgical groups, the colorectal surgery group here has about a dozen doctors in it and they're an independent group. Um, and so uh, in this community, um, we have a lot of large groups that tend to support each other through, you know, collegial medical activities. Um, we know who all the referring docs are and when patients need to be seen by others, we know who to refer them to. And, um, and so we've, we've had a very stable medical environment for a long time. There are a couple of closed systems in town, um, which we don't necessarily work with, where the medical staff is fully employed. The hospitals that we service, uh, nine adult hospitals and two pediatric hospitals, are all, um, all have partially employed staff, but not fully employed or closed system staff. And so uh, a few years ago, at the beginning of the um, private equity uh, bubble, or, bur or, or, or bulge, I should say, it's not a bubble, but a bulge, um, we spent a lot of time doing a deep dive and asking ourselves the question, should we be going to market as a potential uh, private equity platform with an MSO? And we realized that at least in our current geography, we didn't see a lot of upside for us in doing that uh, in terms of the clinical care that we deliver. So we elected not to pursue a financial partner, but rather to continue to grow our clinical service lines and develop new service lines within Minji itself. Our vision is to keep expanding, most likely in concentric circles uh, from the mothership. Uh, and one of the things we did early on in Minji is we centralized a tremendous amount of services. So we, we really do have an MSO um, that centralizes all of our scheduling and, and office operations and revenue cycle, uh, as well as our um, clinical non-patient facing staff, all work out of a centralized location and serve uh, all the different locations. And so that's enabled us to grow more quickly uh, because we can develop, develop and deliver a uniform clinical product to the patients that we serve. Well, I, I remember back when we put together IgG back 2010, one of the first things I did was make a field trip up to Minji uh, to get a good idea as to what or what are a truly integrated practice should look like. And I was, I was very impressed then. I, I don't think there are many GI practices around the country that are as mature and sophisticated as, as Minji is. You, you ought to be very proud of what you have built there. Um, let's, let's go into a discussion about Minji and how you approach inflammatory bowel disease. You know, most of the practices that we see around the country really don't create a specialty team inside their practice to deal with inflammatory bowel disease. But Minji's, Minji has taken a different route. Um, can you describe to us how inflammatory bowel disease is organized and treated at Minji? Sure. I, and I think this is an outgrowth of our sort of centralized, uh, you know, hub and spoke uh, uh, operational process. So we had developed what we called a clinical practice committee uh, many years ago. And that committee would meet monthly to look at what was happening in terms of guidelines and, and uh, uh, th you know, therapeutic options for treatments, whether it be for inflammatory bowel disease or other things, and would make recommendations to the practice at large as to how we should address, you know, common problems and do it uh, according to published guidelines. 
And out of that clinical practice committee, as it matured, we started to have physicians say that they wanted to spend more of their time in a subspecialty environment. And so we developed the, uh, at the same time, a hepatology and an inflammatory bowel disease focus group. So they're subcommittees of our clinical practice committee. Uh, and we invited physicians from across the practice to participate. Now, everybody in Minji treats inflammatory bowel disease. So we all have Crohn's and, and ulcerative colitis patients. However, we have a core group of physicians and APPs who want to spend at least half of their clinical time working with IBD patients. And so their commitment, that individual commitment, is that they're going to stay on the leading edge of what's changing in IBD diagnosis and therapy and management and educate the rest of us. So they commit to meeting as a group, discussing, uh, you know, having case discussions, also looking at the literature, also looking at what new guidelines or what new opportunities uh, are out there, and also committing to, on an individual basis, to make sure that they stay on top of the literature and attend IBD meetings. So what they have become is essentially a mini academic department within our practice. And so the rest of us who are not part of the IBD group, we see IBD patients, but when we reach our limit of our capabilities and we would feel that um, we wanna refer them to somebody who has a, both a deeper and broader knowledge base than I do, and particularly patients that are struggling with whatever therapy they've been using, uh, then we will internally refer them to the IBD group. And they will um, either hold those patients and manage them directly or do sort of an internal consult and send the patient back to us uh, to continue to manage. So it's been a great resource for us. Um, and I will say my colleagues who are in this group, they are phenomenal. Uh, in fact, most recently, as a result of what they learned about um, the psychosocial aspects of inflammatory bowel disease and the discussion around uh, mental health issues for IBD, um, we literally in the last few months hired a, a GI health psychologist who is starting to see patients who have chronic GI illness and have difficulty with coping with their management with their disease. Well, that's going to be a big help to us in the deployment of sonar into um, Minji. So tell me more about the infrastructure. You, you mentioned that you, you have physicians who have committed to spending 50% of their practice time uh, in IBD and they, they keep themselves up with the, the literature. And I would, I would imagine that uh, guidelines and protocols and pathways are pretty much ingrained in the care that's uh, performed and provided at Minji. But what other type of infrastructure is necessary? What kind of nursing infrastructure, uh, infusion uh, center infrastructure? What else do you have there? So, and one of the things that we do with this, this clinic is when the IBD clinic meets, at least pre-COVID, um, they would meet as two or three people from the team in the same physical clinic, seeing patients at the same time. So it also gave them the opportunity to collaborate real time with patient challenges. Um, with respect to infusions, uh, that has become a big part of our IBD practice. We have grown uh, from one or two sites that offer infusion to now half a dozen of our sites uh, offer infusions daily. Uh, we tend to have five or six infusion patients at a time uh, who visit us and we have nurses 
who have specialized in taking care of the infusion patients from when they enter the facility, you know, to their IV placement, to their medication uh, delivery, and to making sure that they have a safe and comfortable experience when they're here for their uh, medication infusion. Do any of your uh, nurse practitioners or physician assistants specialize in IBD? Yes, they do. Um, I'd say that uh, about a third of them are involved in the IBD clinic. Ah, interesting. So many practices around the country uh, really have, have eliminated a lot of that and their, their um, nurse practitioners go to the hospital but really don't have clinic experience or clinic uh, responsibilities for IBD. So you really do have a, a multi-tiered, multi-level clinical team that's deployed for this. Um, I'm going to take a little break here. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. Scott Ketover, uh, the uh, president of Minji Digestive Health. Let's talk about Minji and value-based care. What does value-based care consist of at Minji? What kind of programs are you participating in? Yeah, good question, Larry. Um, so uh, over the last seven or eight years, the value-based care program that we developed internally was really focused around uh, a pay one price uh, program for outpatient colonoscopy and upper endoscopy. And we brought that to the payers about 10 years ago, this concept that instead of being billed a la carte for the anesthesia services, the professional services of the gastroenterologist, the pathology lab, the pathology uh, reading and interpretation, the ASC facility fee, all of those individual billings, we put it together in one bundle and had one price to cover that, irrespective of whether we took biopsies or removed polyps or we spent 45 minutes with a patient or what have you. We had one set price. And we brought that to the payers and they were very excited by the concept, but they couldn't execute on it. It was very, didn't fit their model at the time. So what we did with that and the, and the help of an insurance broker is we took that concept to uh, several local employers, small to mid-sized companies where they're self-insured. And the insurance broker was able to show the employer based upon their previous year, what they paid to let's say for outpatient colonoscopies in total, what they would have saved if all of those patients had come through Minji instead of going to multiple different places. And as a result, we have contracts with uh, several different employers where they will, uh, when a patient needs a colonoscopy or an upper endoscopy, direct them to us. Now, they're not practicing medicine on the employer side. The patient still has an option to use their insurance wherever they want to, but the employer will tell the, their employee, if you use the pay one price program at Minji, there will be no associated copay. And so the employer waives the copay for the patient, knowing that overall the total cost of care is way less than if the patient went elsewhere. So these aren't billed through the insurance company then? They're, they're billed separately? Correct. They're billed directly to, between Minji and the employer. Ah. The, the insurance companies don't like it because for the most part, um, they don't have the data. Uh, it's a carve out really from their existing line of service and what they provide to the employer in terms of their program. Um, but we had, you know, we felt we give them adequate opportunity to participate 
and they just weren't ready. Now I'll spin that forward and say with Sonar, uh, with Sonar MD, and, and we're thrilled to be uh, participating in Sonar, uh, that brings a whole new flavor to value-based care for us, an opportunity to really deliver a higher level of service for overall total, less total cost to the system and keep patients healthier. And get paid for it. And get paid for it. And That's get right. paid for it, which is the key here. You know, I'm really impressed with what you did with, with that bundled payment program for colonoscopy. Across the country, the same reaction you have uh, experienced from, from your uh, plans is typical across the country. The insurance plans appear capable of billing the claims, but they're really not either interested or capable of bundling all those charges into a single payment. And yet it makes so much sense uh, for a patient going through it, even, even from the physician performing these procedures to have a single payment like that uh, and to get steerage from your employers. That's, that's really where the value comes to the practice because you get to continue to grow. You know, I know you're involved heavily in ACOs, in accountable care organizations. And we hear across the country uh, that many of the, most of the plans are pushing a lot of their risk off to these ACOs. Tell me about your experience with ACOs up there in the Twin Cities. Um, how, how are your relationships structured with your ACOs? I will say that after working um, in an ACO model, and I don't mean for patient care, but just with a health system trying to uh, have a clinically integrated network that could deliver as an accountable care organization. Um, having done that for close to 12 years, um, we've put a lot in, meaning we have as, as providers, as has the hospital system, and there's been very minimal output. This is really a result of our local market um, most of our payers are still uh, tax exempt, not for profits. And as such, they're very, very conservative in looking at new models of care delivery. And so we had an early start in forming an ACO. And um, what we've over this length of time have not achieved much in terms of at risk contracting, both on the positive and negative side. We've had some, but clearly not enough to really move the needle. We hope that that's going to change in the future. You know, I, I know um, Minnesota is a little different because your plans have to be not-for-profit, correct? Well, that was until about three years ago. Oh, Three or okay. four years ago, the, the state legislature overturned a 40-year-old law that prior to that time said all HMOs have to be not-for-profit. They did away with that law. So now that's how United Healthcare came into our market and Cigna and Aetna and, and WellPoint and others. Prior to that time, we didn't have any of the national, big national carriers. I see. So in your ACOs, you're still basically paid discounted fee for service. That's correct. Okay. The primary cares may be uh, on some type of a capitated basis, but from a specialty point of view, it's still fee for service. Okay. That's right. Boy, we've got a lot, we've got a long way to go with our ACOs. Moving on a little further to value-based care, let's, let's try to tie together now value-based care with what you're doing 
in IBD at Minji. And, um, you know, so if we look at what you've created there, I would think that Minji would be positioned very well to deploy cost mitigation strategies for IBD. Have you done any, any work to be able to tell how cost effective your care is for IBD? We have not. And I think part of the reason we haven't been able to structure a project internally to do that is we're, in a way, we're trying to prove a negative. Um, we're trying to say that because of the way we deliver care, fewer of our patients wind up in the emergency department, fewer of our patients get emergency T CT scans, fewer IBD patients wind up admitted to the hospital with acute flares, and fewer patients need surgery. Now, we all feel anecdotally that's true, and we've seen the, the change amongst our patient population over the last two decades that we think we're doing a much better job, but we don't have access to that data uh, on a total cost of care for IBD basis for these patients. So we can demonstrate what we do on our side, but we, and we think we're saving the system a lot of money, but we don't have access to the data that actually proves that. Well, that brings up sonar. That will be different in the relationship that we're building between sonar, Menji, and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota, because we will have access to claims data that will tell us what, what we're doing and whether, whether what we're deploying is making a difference. I've been very, very anxious to, to deploy this uh, project at Minji because of the structure you have in your, your IBD service line. Sonar believes very strongly that we need to never disintermediate the care that the physicians are providing, that, that we are an adjunct to that care. And one of the weaknesses that we face all the time is that we can only move things as far forward as the providers are capable of doing. But you have a tremendous electronic health record at Minji. You use, you use NextGen. You still use NextGen? Yes, we do. Yes, yeah. you do. And, and so that's an incredibly uh, mineable uh, database. And now with our partnership with, with Blue Cross, we will have much more um, knowledge of, of how costs are being affected uh, with the care we're providing up there. You know, Scott, we had uh, over, a over a thousand patients enrolled in the Sonar platform within a month of the deployment at Minji. And although Sonar can take some credit for that, it also reflects the fact that you, you have very engaged patients up at Menji. And, and so hopefully, hopefully we, are, we're, we're, we have all the essential pieces in place. So how do you think the Sonar platform is going to impact the care you provide IBD up at Menji? Yeah, I think we're excited to really see the data, you know, the, the, at least the economic data that supports um, you know, the utilization of the, the tool. Well, the tool is, is an empowerment, right? The sonar 
sonar tool really is a empowers the patient and the provider to work together in a much more organized way than, as you've said in the past, for us to wait for the patients to call us and tell us they're having problems. And so I, I anticipate that um, as we continue to enroll patients in sonar and we start to see where the, where the data goes, that we're going to be able to show that these patients are actually clinically doing quite well and that we are saving uh, a lot of dollars uh, from the payer to the, you know, the benefit of the payer community, but ultimately to the benefit of everybody. Scott, you know, I, I realize it's only three months or so that we've been working together on this with, with Minji, but what kind of feedback have you received from your, uh, your IBD physicians and your, and your nurses and their experience working with us at Sonar? Yeah, the, the feedback has been very positive. Um, the, the providers, uh, when they get an, an inbox task that has been identified uh, through the Sonar program as a patient who uh, may be starting to flare or has some issues or needs some attention, it's, it's incredible that the provider gets to contact that patient right away and is reaching out to the patient and basically saying, hey, I'm concerned, tell me what's going on. And that relationship, that, that, that physician-patient or provider-patient relationship is the, the reason that we went into clinical medicine. You know, we, we like to talk about guidelines, we like to talk about data, but when you come right down to it as physicians, we deal with one patient at a time, the patient that's right in front of us. And that relationship is, is very, very important in both directions. And I think Sonar is, uh, is a great way to help us enhance that. It certainly should augment our ability to really perform population health uh, along with Menji. Well, we're very, very interested and excited in uh, what's, what's coming for us. I think we're we're almost one quarter. No, we are one quarter into our experience. So we should be having some data very soon to be able to, to look at where we are uh, in, in a baseline. And we're going to be getting data uh, on an ongoing basis going forward. So we should be able to continue to mold and shape uh, our platform with you. Scott, I, I really, really appreciate you coming on today. Um, we are all at Sonar looking forward to this relationship uh, continuing to grow. And thank you for having me, Larry. I appreciate uh, you putting the time in to do this podcast and inviting me to be a guest. Uh, you've been a great guest. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to our conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Finally, be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join us.